In the Wild West world of podcasting, there is one podcast that is authentic and genuine and continues to stand tall in its originality. Based on a passion for his guests, their work, and his love of podcasting, Derek Thomas and Monday Morning Critic Podcast get amazing, diverse, unique guests found nowhere else. The variety and quality are endless. There is something for everyone. Derek Thomas is the hero you deserve. He's a silent guardian, a watchful protector. Welcome to Monday Morning Critic Podcast. Here is Derek Thomas. You got John. Rocky Four behind you, man. Nice. Yeah, and and uh, I wish I had room for more. Karate person. Kid. Yeah. Right and Wind River. So I, I got some. I wish I had room for more, John. But um, I know there's never enough room. So so all greats are born in '73, John. Is what I'm learning from you and I. Oh, good. Yeah, you and I nailed it. What month? October. Um, I'm June. I got I got here ahead of you. Did you uh? Do you feel different when you hit fifty? Yeah, man. I do too. I, I, I feel, I my I feel like <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I feel like the. This just sounds so dire. I feel like the clock is ticking. I feel like you better start appreciating if you haven't appreciated so far. I got a daughter who's seventeen is going to go off to college soon. It's funny. There was this quote from Rocky, interestingly enough, from Sylvester Stallone in his documentary. He said something really profound about like you get to that point in life where you start you stop counting forwards and you start counting backwards. That's a great one. That's a you know great I mean? one. Yeah. And you yeah. really do realize it's like you, everything's ahead of you when you're younger. And then you start to go, oh, wait, how much do I have left? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and the more pressure John comes because I have a daughter that's three because I got started late and a son that's nine months. So, like, I'm wow. really, I'm really valuing the time I have. So. It's, so it's so good. But you know what, though? It's like gratitude, man. Gratitude is a great thing. By the way, I don't think I don't notice the Shawshank behind you when you move to your right a little bit. And I think that, <laughs> is that bad news bears as well. Yeah, yeah, I got I got a lot going on. Yeah, I got a lot. One day, yeah. John, we'll have to have uh, libations in my man, my man right. room. Okay. Uh, so, so I have to say, you've done a lot. You know, uh, Jesus Revolution, American Underdog, which is so so underrated. Um, Case for Christ, you directed uh, the other. The first two were movies you wrote. These mm -hmm. are, and you've done more than just these. I just highlighted a couple: Case yeah. for Christ, and then Ordinary Angels. And and what an upgrade that name was over Angels. I feel like Angels would have been deceiving. Ordinary puts a touch of humanity on it. I feel like, but that's you know what's funny. I, I appreciate you saying that. When the project came to me, it was called Angels, and I uh, I added the Ordinary because uh, I felt like I wanted to qualify that in a way that spoke to the heart of the project, which is that you know just regular people can do transformative things. Uh, and so I appreciate you bringing that up. You're the first one to mention it. Yeah, yeah, it's 100%, 100% grounded uh, title. Um, so, so let me ask you this, right? So um, looking at this project, you know, would you consider yourself, um, I hate asking this question, but would you consider yourself a faith-based director? Uh, no, not at all. Um, <laughs> although a lot of people would probably consider me that. I will tell you this, though. I strongly, I, I don't like the title faith-based film or um me either. I don't know why I, I asked because I, I, I well no, but it's about. I'm glad you asked it because I think it's a conversation that everybody sort of, you know, it's become what people consider almost a genre. But to me, the genre is a drama or an action movie or a comedy. Uh, and I am not interested in telling faith-based stories. I want to tell great stories. Mm -hmm. And if they're grappling with issues of faith or exploring issues of whether it be religion or or spirituality or faith or. Uh, Christianity specifically, any of that, that should be in service of a story that's worth telling that you tell with excellence. And so I think, and I think that even people, strong people of faith, whatever faith that is, don't want to go to a movie about faith. Really, you know? <laughs> like, I mean, I mean, some people do, but like in general, you want to go see a great story, you know, and, and so uh, this is a story that has a, a faith component to it about a family that's struggling and finding redemption and, and, 
a, a broken woman who helps a family in a way that heals herself. And the Alan Richson plays, who's by the way, wonderful, mm-hmm. uh, plays a man whose heart has been hardened because of his loss and suffering, but then he, his heart is softened through the goodness of the people around him and his own children. And so the, that's powerful and transformative, right? Uh, and and my hope is always to explore these things in honest and complicated ways. And and then, you know, then I understand. Then people say, well, if there's some kind of faith component, I guess that makes it a faith movie. But to me, this is just a drama and a true story and a, and a biopic that I think is really powerful and really inspirational. And, yeah. and by the way, yeah, John, assuming your answer had been yes, right? Yes, I'm a faith-based director. Yeah. I mean, do you have to have faith to love a movie about family and kindness and humanity yeah. and respect? And so, I mean, so it was a loaded question. If, if I had to walk that one back, I probably would have. Um, no, no I, don't mind. I don't mind at all because I think it's actually relevant. I think a lot of people think these questions. I just talked to Hillary Swank this morning and she said it. Someone asked her that question. She's like, I didn't quite know how to answer it because I just think of it as a great film. But 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 it's a label, you know, and and I understand why. But I also think that that what's important about it is that a community of faith feels underserved. And the reason for that is that movies have a hard time talking about religion and faith. Movies talk about so many other things, you know, uh, unflinchingly. But religion and God and faith is sort of tricky and it's loaded. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and but, it, but it's real. And it's something most humans experience. So I think that it's a it's an interesting thing where we try to put kind of like market or label an experience like movies that grapple with issues of faith. I think they're important issues to talk about. And if it's a good story and you can tell it well, then I'm excited to do it. But I'm not interested in telling a story that puts faith before the story because that that just feels like preaching or propaganda. Oh, I totally agree. Disney has run into that wall, I feel like. But anyways, that's a conversation for another time. Uh, You know, it's funny because I do believe, though, your actors have to share not the faith component, but but the com- the component that's key to the storytelling, right? You can't have actors sign on who are just there to kind of be actors and like let's do this. I think they have to buy in. They have to be invested. They have to see the they have to see what you're going for. I feel like in something special like this and some of the stuff you've done in the past. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting because you know Alan is a very outspoken Christian and um um and does Alan Richson does it like a Instagram Insta Church every Sunday and he's he's very vocal about his faith. Hillary, you know, talks about that too. She's a very spiritual person, but not a Christian. Her dad mm. was a Christian. Her dad was a recipient of an organ um, transplant um, and, uh, and a lung transplant. So she felt very connected to that part of the story, the spirituality of it, the the organ donor component of it, the the power of just the sort of idea of mobilizing a community and helping another person with selfless acts. And so I think it's kind of beautiful when you get people that find their own way into the story. Like hopefully mm. you've got a cast and that's what I'm looking for. People mm. that can bring their own lives into the story and find passion, uh, ho- however it connects to them personally. And so, and this cast is really special. I honestly believe like the right people came together for this. And I'm very excited for people to see this side of Hillary because there's a lot of fun and comedy in this role, which she <laughs> hasn't done in a while. And I yeah. love that. Her. And Alan who's such an action hero and such a, you know, a giant muscular, you know, Jack Reacher, Fast and the Furious action star, who in this story is vulnerable and quiet and, uh, and, and I think profoundly powerful in his performance. And strength is not his biggest asset as it usually is in other roles, right? It, that's maybe yeah. his down, maybe not, not downfall, but that's one of his weaker, you know. Well, and it was interesting because when we cast him, I was like, man, it's supposed to be an average guy, but he's so big. <laughs> but then I realized this is also about a man who's ultimately going to be confronted with weather as his obstacle and nemesis in the story. The antagonist in our third act is the bit, the worst blizzard in, in Louisville history. 
And so I thought that's kind of cool that if man is going to go up against nature in the third act, to have a man so large, you think maybe he could take it on. Right, and, right, right. And that he's humbled and, you know, and uh, and needs help from this little woman, this fiery little woman who's a regular hairdresser, an alcoholic struggling in her own life, who takes it upon herself to help this family, whether they want it or not. And uh, and that leads to some really good humor but also a lot of great inspiration is just a reminder that angels don't always come to us in the forms that we maybe would want. Yeah, I think people love this these kind of messaging. I do. I, I love this kind of messaging. And I'm not the most religious person on the planet. You know, obviously, Angel and Kingdom Story are doing something right because people are flocking to these movies, right? The people love they love the messages that are being sent. I said, the, I, you know, I said a few of those earlier, the selfness is to love the family. Um, those messages just I feel like have gotten lost a little bit over time in movie making, yeah. you know? So I think when you bring something like ordinary angels out, people help, helping each other. Cause when you, anytime you turn a news on John, you know, this, if somebody has been killed, somebody shot, somebody hit, yeah. somebody cursed somebody out. Like, it's like, finally, you know, you have I'll, a tell you, I'll tell you what's interesting. Like I'm a lover of movies. I love all kinds of movies. And like I said, I go to the theaters all the time. I want to experience great stories. And I think a lot of times people criticize that like, Oh, Hollywood has run out of ideas or like all the superhero movies are so soulless. And, and that's, I don't think that's true at all. I think that some of the superhero movies are soulless. <laughs> I think that they it can happen that any kind of movie can lose its way when it's motivated by the wrong things. But there's a lot of really soulful, beautiful stories that are epic blockbusters and that are small independent films. And I think we're having a moment in time where we're a little tired of the same thing over and over again. And we're looking for something that has passion and soul and true stories that are inspirational and real struggles that you can relate to are something that we haven't seen in the theaters as much over the last handful of years. And this year was great with obviously with Oppenheimer and, uh, and even Sound of Freedom and a lot of big hits that were dramas and that were original stories have reminded us what it's like to go back into the theater in a communal way to connect with something primal and yeah. transformative and revelatory. And so there's place for all of it. I love the big movies. I love the small movies. And I'm happy to be presenting a movie that I think is a reminder of a moment in time where community came together, where people helped others, whether they knew them or not. And in the divided times we live in now, I'm really proud to share that message and to share a hopeful story about faith in action and about community coming together and about making a difference in others' lives and about how helping other people heals us right. as well. Right, yeah. right. Well, well said. Well said. Before I, I want to hop, you know, it's funny that you say this because there, there are times where people offer me screeners, right? And I'm like, I just love watching stuff on the big screen. I don't care what it, it is. is. You know, it's like, it's just, I, I've seen the same movie on the big screen and in my living room. And I'm telling you, man, it's like I saw two different movies. I'll tell you I'm, what, I, I, I get all the screeners too for the Oscars and everything. I don't watch any of them at home. Good I go for you. I, and and I, I'll go... And 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 I would recommend for anyone listening now, like this film, Ordinary Angels, is the kind of movie that when you see it in a crowd, and I have many times, it's it plays almost like a comedy at times. There's so much laughter, <laughs> so much movement in the theater because Sharon, you know, it's and it's the laughter that I love so much that comes unexpectedly and out of pain sometimes, where you're yeah. like relief. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and so the experience when you're focused in a large room in the dark with a crowd is vastly different than sitting on your couch interrupted multiple times so i would really encourage people to go see this in theaters because it's my movie <laughs> but yeah. also because i believe it's a better experience and it also helps to, for us to make more of these movies uh when we get the support of people going out opening weekend so i i certainly hope people do because i love the experience of this film with a crowd 
I want to spend the last eight minutes talking about uh, Ordinary Angels, but I want to ask you one question about your, yeah. your project after that, The Unbreakable Boy. Uh, yeah. you, you've used, clearly, uh, Zach uh, Levy bef- Levi before. Levy before. Yeah. Um, what is it about him that's so special and that you like as an actor? Well, you know, it was, it was wonderful for us. In the midst of COVID, you know, we, I was about to make the movie Jesus Revolution, uh, and COVID hit, and we were three weeks away from shooting. So that whole movie got shut down. And American Underdog, or American Underdog, which Zach plays Kurt Warner, uh, that got shut down. So we were in COVID with two movies, big movies that had just about started rolling camera. They got delayed. So as we were all sitting around thinking it was a two-week delay, maybe a four-week delay, yeah, <laughs> maybe four months, as it turns out, two years, we were trying to come up with other ideas of movies to make that were smaller budgets that we could shoot in COVID with smaller crowds. And I had this book, The Unbreakable Boy, that had been brought to our company. And I'm like, what if I wrote this and we just shot this in COVID? So I wrote it really fast, Lionsgate greenlit it instantly, and we needed a star. And we already had Zach Levi lined up to play Kurt Warner. And so, and we wanted to be in business with him, making movies with him. And so we were like, we're going to shoot that film in Oklahoma. What if we shot Unbreakable Boy in Oklahoma? We bundled them together. I directed the first one before Christmas. We took a break for Christmas, and then the Irwins directed American Underdog with him after Christmas. So we kind of tented off this area in Oklahoma, a COVID-safe area. I started directing in November, December of 2020, in the thick of it, like one of the first movies to go. And then we took a break and then did American Underdog. So Zach Levi was training for football while I was directing uh, Unbreakable Boy, and then went off and, and did American Underdog right after. So we did two back-to-back, four and a half months with Zach Levi. And, you know, he's a guy that I had known. I have a lot, we have a lot of friends in common, but I've never met him before. And now he's a dear friend of mine. And Unbreakable Boy is a very special story. It's a father-son story about an autistic child uh, who, who, by the way, narrates the movie. So it's told oh, cool, the autistic cool. child. It's kind of a little bit wonder and a little bit like Jojo Rabbit. Yeah. It's got some magic to it. Oh, Jojo uh, Rabbit, yeah. It's it's such a special movie to me. And uh, I can't wait for people to finally see that four and a half years later after. after yeah. Well, I hope you come back on to talk about it. Um, I would you, love to. Yeah. You know, I have to say, I, I'm, I'm watching this trailer. My wife's like, we have to see this. I'm like, absolutely. And, you know, and, and I feel like Hillary Swank, people forgot she was a good actor. Not a good actor, but like a top like five. Oh, yeah. I almost feel like, not that she dropped off or what. I just feel like, this woman is one of the most talented people on the planet. And I feel like some people forgot that. Well, you know, what's interesting. Like her father was sick for a number of years and she sort of took time away to go. Mm. Be with and now she's had two children as well. Yeah. She, uh, not only is she an amazing actress, but like, I always remembered that like, she's funny. And, and like a lot of the things she's known for weren't like even boys don't cry or to me, million dollar baby. She's really funny, Oof. but like in a subtle, like, character way mm. uh but i've i'd seen some things with her like remember her in the gift with keanu reeves like she was this abused wife uh, and she was so interesting and but she'd been in a lot of things some smaller roles too that had really made me laugh and i thought like what a perfect combination to have an oscar caliber actress who can do all that heavy like emotional complex character work that who can, also has this really unexpected sense of comedy timing and she's just beautiful and um and complicated in a way that i love you know and mm. so uh i was i couldn't believe we got her and i agree with you i haven't seen in a number of years that side of her but but i've told her this many times and i've told a lot of people like when i saw million dollar baby i, I went back to the theater over that first week three three extra times to see that movie four times uh 
I just think she's magical in it. So it was it was like quite an honor to get her in my film. And I think she delivers this sort of Aaron Brockovich role. We her character name is Sharon, so we would call her Sharon Brockovich when making. <laughs> she is that kind of woman that is just unstoppable. Like you know, uh, in, in a messy, loud, colorful, dynamic way, she's going to bulldoze her way into a situation, and she's going to move mountains. And there's nothing that's going to stop her. Yeah, I don't think I've ever been as floored for a movie as Million Dollar Baby in my life. Like, I don't think I've ever been devastated. Um, so, so I, I, I didn't research this part of it. Is is the real life Sharon? Is she still with us? Yeah, yeah. She's she's she she thinks that Hillary nailed her. Perfect. She's so delighted. Uh, she's wonderful. She's she's quite a character herself and and unstoppable. And uh, so yeah, she'll be at the premiere with us. She's been very involved. I've been communicating with her for the last two years as we made this. So. John, when it comes to like movies like American Underdog and, and Ordinary Angels, is there any more pressure telling a story based on somebody's life? Do you feel like there's a, a, a little bit of an added, I don't want to say burden because then it makes it sound arduous. No, like, responsibility. Yeah, like, responsibility, I, better word. Yeah. And, and I take that that responsibility really seriously. I've done a lot of true stories, right? I've written and or directed quite a lot of them, actually, probably five or six of them. Yeah. And um, and I do take that responsibility seriously. And I always say that I, I a lot of filmmakers stay away from the real people because it's it can get messy or they don't want to be burdened by the truth of it. I really wrap my arms around it and 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 I and I want I always say to them that I know this is going to be the one movie of your life. So and so I'm going to be a steward, a good steward of that and, and do my best to make an excellent version of your life story that you'll be proud of. And so I want to get the essence and the heart of their story right. And you know, I say that to them all the time that like, it's not going to be exactly the way it happened. Like Alan Richson is a larger, taller, more handsome version of you, Ed. You're just going to have to accept <laughs> that, that, that like, you know, we're consolidating facts and we're trying to dream up the, what the specific dialogue might have been. But the more that I can pull from the real people, what the essence and the heart of their story was, the more happy they'll be and the better the movie will be. So I, I love doing true stories because there's always a, a resource to say, like, what, what what kinds of movies did you guys watch? What was your favorite activities? Like, how did you argue? What kind of toothpaste did you use? Like, what was it like at that time in this era? Like, you could just get a lot of details from them that just bring the story to life in more complex ways. So I love doing true stories. I think it's genius to, to, to cast Richson in a, in a guy who's that vulnerable. I think it adds more magnitude to his role. I feel like it's a, well, how, how does a script like this, la like just get kicked around for so long? You know, I, mean, I feel like it, this story has been out there a while. It, John, correct me if I'm incorrect, but like, is yeah, 15 years, it was 15 years. That's in insane. That's insane. Well, I think it was one of those stories that like, you know, a local producer um, had found it when the, when the thing happened in the nineties, um, Rick Baker is his name and not the special effects makeup guy, but a guy named Rick Baker. Uh, and he was trying to shepherd it along and then it went to multiple other writers and producers and Dave Matthews ended up attached to it and was a producer on it. So now wow. Matthews, he wrote a song for us that's in the closing credits uh, called Little Bird, a Pretty Bird. And um, and then and then Meg Tilly was she wrote a draft of it and then it made its way to John Berg, who's the producer of Elf and Wonder Woman, a bunch of Warner Brothers movies. And he brought it to Lionsgate. Lionsgate brought it to me. So I was this guy that was handed the football on the one yard line and, and sort of brought it over the end zone. Uh, and so many people have worked for so many years to, to shepherd it along. And, you know, sometimes these journeys just for unexpected reasons, you, the pieces don't quite come together. So I'm very honored to be the guy that gets to make it and share it with the world. And I think the timing is perfect to tell a story about about unity and community coming together at a time that's as divided as we are. It's a nice reminder of how much 
a simple act of service can change someone's life. Yeah, and I feel like you don't have to be any age. You could be almost any age. I mean, obviously not a kid, like two or three, but like anybody yeah. can appreciate something like this. It's not a specific genre. It's just a movie about life. I mean, that's yeah, that's all. Yeah, I, and it's interesting because it's kind of a domestic drama for two acts, and then a big action scene in the third act. Yes, Blizzard, and so that was fun for me as well, and in challenging and interesting ways. But we wanted it to be as accurate as possible, so we went out into the snow in Winnipeg and really shot in the. You are very brave to go into Winnipeg. I can't even it was imagine. Brutal. <laughs> it was brutal. Uh, but, John, it was, but it was great john i'm a big fan i hope you come back you're so easy to talk to just so much fun thank you for this you too, man thank you for having me derek thanks for spreading the word and i really appreciate it i'll come back on to talk about the unbreakable boy in uh eight months all the best it's like to see you next week thank you thank you for listening to derek thomas and monday morning critic podcast If you enjoyed this episode, you can also connect with Monday Morning Critic on Instagram and Facebook, MDM Critic on Twitter, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are found. All episodes available, www.mmcpodcast.com.